official IU Cinema podcast. I'm your co-host, Elizabeth Rout, and as always, joining me is my co-host, David Carter. David, Hi, guess what? Hey, what? I did that from memory because I forgot my notebook. Oh, hey, congratulations. After uh, 50 plus episodes, <laughs> you finally... <laughs> yeah, finally got it down. I just get stage fright. I'm nervous that I'm gonna forget I, it. I understand. Wait, it's kind of funny because it's you, you, you got stage fright when we recorded together in person, and now that we're in completely individual spaces, you still have stage fright. Yeah, that's. I get stage fright when we do like events and stuff too. Like I just oh, hosted the event this week, and I was like. <laughs> I can't even be uh, like jokey about that. I literally was a guest on a podcast this week and I had armpit flop sweat like because I was nervous because I didn't know anybody on the podcast That's going so weird. into it. So I was like, actually like, like, I don't want to sound like an idiot. Just please. <laughs> and so like, I like sweat, I like partially sweat through my Carly Rae Jepsen hoodie. It was very uh, weird. So no, I, I can't make too much fun of you. But yes, I'm here. I'm doing okay. Uh, this is our non-traditional holiday episode, which should bring me much cheer after the onslaught of, uh, well, it depends on your point of view about the Disney news, but I'm choosing to think of it as a negative. But all of the, the onslaught of Disney announcements last night uh, and then the unfortunate deaths of Tiny Lister Jr., who you may know from the movie Friday and uh, as the galactic president in the, the fifth element and mm -hmm. the bail bondsman and Jackie Brown and so many other movies and just a legend. Yeah. And uh, the also bummer of a death from South Korean art house uh, legend, uh, Kim Ki Duk, who died of COVID related uh, symptoms, which is also a big bummer. So Rest in peace to those two great, great little legends of cinema. And mm -hmm. other than that, mostly just uh, stressed about the future of movies after <laughs> after Disney decided to announce, like, I don't even know. It was something like 20 or 30 new TV shows and movies that were just either Marvel or Star Wars or just adaptations of pre-existing Disney properties. Uh, did did you did you catch that Elizabeth at all? I didn't keep up with it at all. I knew it was happening, and then yesterday, I just had like work and stuff, and I ordered a bunch of Christmas presents, so I tracked the packages like ten times a day. So I just wasn't on Twitter yesterday, not realizing it was yesterday. And I got on when I was going to bed, and I was like, "Oh my god, thank God I did not." follow this as it was happening because it sounds so annoying and mostly i heard that it was like oh they're gonna slow down on star wars movies but then they're gonna like have a million tv shows and then like chris yeah. evans replaced tim allen or something oh my god the chris evans thing is, <laughs> was was really funny i mean i just want to give context to that one little glorious moment on twitter so they announced that there was going to be a buzz lightyear prequel tv show and you, you go sure whatever not i don't i don't care they already um, had one of those but whatever yes buzz lightyear star command on, on abc <laughs> <laughs> we all know it all cinephiles remember it 
and love it. Uh, but it was like a, a prequel thing. And I was like, okay, whatever. I, I tried mostly to ignore the news after like the alien, the incredibly disappointing alien mm-hmm. news came out and I, where it was Noah Halley, the director, the writer director of like Legion and um, the Fargo TV series, two things I don't particularly like oh, was okay. helming an alien TV show to set on earth. Anyway, is this whole thing. And after they announced the Buzz Lightyear thing, Chris Evans tweeted out, and just to be clear, this isn't Buzz Lightyear the toy. This is the origin of story of the human Buzz Lightyear that the toy is based on. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, let me let me repeat that for you. And just to be clear, a phrase that's doing a lot of work in this sentence, this isn't Buzz Lightyear the toy. You know, Buzz Lightyear from the movie Toy Story, a toy. <laughs> this is the origin story of the human Buzz Lightyear that the toy is based on. That we've never heard of until right now. You know, <laughs> the human Buzz Lightyear, the, the the totemic figure that's mentioned so much in the Toy Story <laughs> franchise. It, it was like the one bright spot in that night, honestly. Like, I... I kept reading it and it kept getting funnier until the point that like, I just remember like crying, <laughs> laughing at some point. <laughs> like it would just pop into my head and I would just immediately start giggling again. Uh, but yes, that was, that's what's, that's what's happening in the media landscape. We we did an episode about this last week, so I don't want to tread new grounds. It's just kind of fortuitous. I mean, fortuitous isn't the right word. It's just, you know, it it's, a weird coincidence that like right after we did that episode they they decided to announce about 20 or 30 new things to look forward to mm. it, i just want to be clear because because I, I don't want to come off as like a, a a grump about this whole thing obviously yes i'm very happy that nita costa is directing captain marvel 2 and all of these people of color who are who are actors and actresses and producers and writers and things like that are going to be involved with a lot of these projects. Patty Jenkins got her Star Wars uh, movie, I think. It's really hard for me to distinct what's what's a movie, a miniseries, and a TV show at this point. Um, Are they going to get me to watch a Star Wars movie? I mean, quite possibly. I don't know. Uh, but uh, anyway, I'm not taking that away. I'm also, I'm very happy for these people. Like, obviously, yes, like, get your money. I am just very let me put it this way i I tweeted this out i said i'm happy about nia getting this this opportunity that she Mm -hmm. like in the past she wouldn't have usually got and like i still want to see her Candyman movie really really badly but it's like i am afraid she'll never get to make her 30 to 50 million dollar mid-budget movie that's like based Mm -hmm. on an original idea or like you know whatever like that she wanted to make like i'm afraid it's either gonna be like you either make captain marvel or you get two million dollars to make a movie for netflix or like a tv show mm-hmm. for disney and i'm just kind of sad that yeah. those opportunities are drying up did so, they announce anything like original or was it all uh yes there was a an announcement of tomi adiyame uh who is the sister of rapper toby Lou. Uh, she wrote a New York Times bestselling book called uh, Children uh, of Blood and Bone, which is a story about like a young African girl's quest to restore magic to a forsaken people, the Magi. 
So I was like, well, it's not that's not a pre-existing IP. I mean, it's based off of a book, so that's something. But I I can't be sure what else. Oh my god! Wait, they got a new Fantastic Four again. Yeah, with like the most anonymous of all of the like directors they could have chosen for it's the it's John Watts who's the director of the two Spider the two Disney Spider Man movies. Mm -hmm. Way to branch out. I mean, it is like mostly upsetting to me because it's like obviously if if we're if I'm taking all the IP like negativity aside. It's mostly just disappointing because one, I think those Spider-Man movies are pretty anonymous. Mm-hmm. Like there's no real signature yeah. to them. So this kind of reads to me as like, we want a person who is going to make this a movie by committee uh, who will just listen to whatever a producer says. That's mm-hmm. what it kind of reads like to me. But I don't want to get too in the weeds <laughs> about the Disney stuff, mostly because I'm pretty sure our listenership uh it either agrees with us and they don't really want to hear any more about it about it or they uh are disinterested <laughs> so uh we'll we'll save that talk for something else but we are here to talk about non-traditional christmas movies uh and even even though we are going to talk about the one thing that's on the schedule for next week we might as well just introduce our guest because we already introduced her last week Ooh. Uh, a, a immediate returning guest i don't know if that's ever happened in the history of our podcast <laughs> Uh, we have back the lovely Ava Cloudin. Yay! Thank you for having me again. Nice to be back in everyone's ears. Yes. Uh, thank you for coming back. I liked how as soon as the episode ended, we talked about like, oh yeah, who are we gonna have on? You were just like, like I would love to talk about hustlers if you want to have. I have been looking for my avenue to talk about hustlers to like a large amount of people for like a year now. Yeah. oh my gosh so uh yes sorry we spoiled one of the movies we're going to talk about we will be talking about uh but before we even get to that or and even before we get to movies that we watch this week we got to talk about the upcoming schedule at the iu cinema We have, in addition to all of the virtual events that we all talked about last week, the world of Wong Kar Wai, Another Round, uh, all those things still happening, still available for streaming. We have the monthly movie roundup, colon, virtual edition, uh, which is, for those not familiar, uh, every uh, month on the I Cinema blog, most of the bloggers (laughs) uh, get together and we talk about our, you know, something of note that we watched this week that we'd like, you know, that we'd like to bring attention to, or just something that we doesn't not deep, like it could just be anything. I say most because I used to participate in every month, but I got kind of overwhelmed with projects. So I uh, just decided to uh, uh, decided to say, I'll be involved when I can. So (laughs) this is my return to the monthly movie roundup. But yes, that is happening on Tuesday, December uh, 15th at seven to eight 30. It will feature me, uh, Laura Ivins, who you may remember from the Adams Family episode, Jack Miller from our The Wind Will Carry Us episode, Michaela Owens from our recent Notorious episode, Jesse Pasternak, who was on our kind of lost episodes now of the podcast. But, you know, all, these are all people who've been on the podcast before. These are all 
very talented writers and editors and video producers. Uh, you know, I'm I'm very like I feel very lucky to get to work around side people who actually have um education in media studies, uh, who are good writers. And I'm very excited to hear about the movies that they picked uh this month. We each picked one movie. We're gonna go in on it. I'm not gonna keep mine as surprised because you know that at the posting of this recording, it's gonna be tomorrow. Uh, I'm gonna be oh, talking yeah. about. <laughs> I'm gonna be talking about uh, Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> something uh, Elizabeth's very excited about. Uh, a movie that I programmed at a um, very cheeky vulture video uh, film series where I've programmed movies for the motion picture Detective Pikachu. Amazing Uh, series, really excellent picks. It was a good time. Everyone seemed to enjoy it, despite it being the most bizarre lineup of movies. Uh, (laughs) The curation was really inspired. You know, I I legitimately put thought into it, uh, you know, but also wanted people to have a good time. So, Uh, yeah. But please, once again, that is this Tuesday, December 15th at uh, 7 to 830. Uh, Elizabeth, is there anything the audience should know they should do beforehand um, for the event? I don't really know what they they just have to register for, um via the website for the event, like you do for all of them. Um, but there's not a film screening or anything, so Yes. I don't and think you have the list of movies up on the website. No. Otherwise I, I'd say I watch to... movies first, but you don't know them, so <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know what the the level of like you know spoilers with you know these are mostly going to be art house movies people are going to be talking about i don't really know if they apply so much i i don't like i'm not going to spoil the ending of strange days but like yeah i'm going to have to talk about it in some mm-hmm. in some capacity so uh I, I i didn't want you know i didn't want to make people try to watch uh so many movies <laughs> right before the event my my hopes is that the event will be reposted at a later date, uh, either a, a video version or an audio version of it. So people mm-hmm. have plenty of time to catch up on the movies. They want to be involved with the conversation. But I'd say even if you haven't seen the movies, I say still listen in. Um, I don't think any magic of the movies that being talked about will be lost if you haven't seen the movies before. So, yeah. yeah. I can tell you that Laura and Michaela's movies are both on HBO Max. So just like pick some random ones and then like maybe you'll guess <laughs> maybe you'll maybe you'll hit the nail square on the head somehow i mean laura's been hinting on twitter that hers is about food so narrows it down oh great um yeah. i'm i'm looking to see if my movie streaming where it's like kind of towards the movie that's been hard to find mm-hmm. unfortunately which i'll get on my you know my soapbox about uh, according to justwatch.com, it's not streaming anywhere. So, <laughs> so yes, please tune into that. I'm very excited to do that. Um, also very excited to talk to all these people. Like this is actually the first time I think the bloggers have all technically been in the same place at the same time. Like I don't even know if we've been to IU Cinema screenings Man. together at the same place <laughs> at the same time. That's kind of crazy. I mean, everyone's got different schedules. Everyone's got different tastes in movies. It's, you know, it, it's kind of hard. I'm sure if this had been a normal year. I mean, Jesse lives in L.A., so. Jesse lives in L.A. Jack lives in uh, Chicago. Uh, 
you know, me, Michaela, and Laura are the only two, three people in uh, Bloomington at this point. But yeah, before they left, I don't think any of us had been in the same room at the same time. All, all five of us, at least. So yeah, tune into that. Uh, Tuesday, December 15th, 7 o'clock. All right. With that out of the way, we will go to what did everyone watch this week? This is your life right here, right now. Okay, Ava. Yes. What did you watch this week? So not much because I started watching the television series Scrubs. People really seem to like it. It's a good show. Uh, But I also watched The Lusty Ones starring Robert Mitchum, and I was not disappointed. Oh, I was the lusty one. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Which of those two would you like to give people a prime? I mean, I'm sure everyone probably knows what Scrubs is, even (laughs) tangentially. uh, You know, it's the Zach Braff vehicle from the Bush years about doctors. I have it is a show I have been reticent to revisit because it it's it's so locked into a place of I watched it when I was a teenager slash in my early 20s as it aired never rewatched it loved it have not returned to it and certain episodes stick out in my mind a lot but I'm not sure if it still holds up or not so uh can you tell us about the lusty ones instead <laughs> Yes, The Lusty Ones was a nice movie about like a love triangle and some rodeo cowboys and the sacrifices that you make or don't make in your marriage that determines how your marriage will go. It was good. Um, who who else is in this motion picture besides um, um Yeah, so he's like the gruff like former rodeo cowboy who's teaching Susan Hayward's husband how to be like a new rodeo cowboy. So there's like a lot of sexual tension between them. Um, and she has a husband, but I didn't recognize him from anything. Oh, and I'm sorry, not not to correct you, but is the Lusty Men. Oh, is it called the Lusty Men? The Lusty Men. Okay, then I'm not one of those, but I am Lusty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, motion picture by Nicholas Ray. Uh, yes, I've... and it looked gorgeous. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Robert Mitchum. Uh, I am a big fan of westerns and things like that, but... Is it is it a is it a subtly erotic film? Somewhat, but not as much as you would think. Yeah, it's semi sexy, but I think the lust is like the lust of an adventurous life or the lust of money, just like desire in general, not necessarily sexual lust. Mm-hmm. I see. But it was really good. I liked it a lot. I love movies about cowfolk people <laughs> and rodeos. Uh, where did you watch this um, movie? Can people watch it anywhere? Yes, I watched it on Criterion. Criterion Channel, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I will bounce off of that because I did watch two very explicitly erotic. Well, one is erotic. One I would classify as erotic in its own way, and the other one, it is. It's not. It's. It's outright just uh, sexual. Like it's not erotic. I don't really. (laughs) I would not classify this movie as erotic. But I did watch for review, which might get published soon. I'm not positive. Before you, I did rewatch for the first time in a long time David Cronenberg's 1998 film Crash. Yes, <laughs> which is 
just a star-studded. I mean, it's it is James Spader at this point who has perfected his disaffected, cold, sexually deviant creep. Oh, he's uh, so sexy. Persona. He's so like, good. Like, like <laughs> to me, it's not like peak Spader, but it's peak. He has perfected this. Like it is like he can do it in his sleep, and David Cronenberg is using it to his own ends. It is uh, James Spader. It is Holly Hunter. It is Elias Cotius. It is Deborah Kara Unger. It is Rosanna Arquette. It is a score by Howard Shore, who is a David Cronenberg regular and also a name you might recognize because he did the Lord of the Rings trilogy music. It's based off of a J.G. Ballard no- uh, novel from the 70s, uh, which past ice and the guest uh, Nile Arena has described to me as, you know, very hotly like very crazed sexually novel it's all told from like one perspective and one point of view in the movie the uh david cronenberg movie in itself is like very cold very meticulous very sterile and incredibly incredibly strange uh it i mean the basic one sentence description of the movie is it's about people who uh share a fetish in which they are all sexually aroused by car crashes and all of the ephemera around car crashes. Like the opening moments of the movie are uh, James Spader and uh, Deborah Unger getting into a car crash in a car containing Holly Hunter and Holly Hunter ripping her seatbelt off to expose her like breast to James Spader. Actually, that's not even the opening moments of the movie. The opening moments of the movie are uh, Deborah Unger like taking uh, her breast out and like placing them atop like an airplane in like a, an airplane <laughs> museum. It is an incredibly strange movie, but it to me is like the, like besides Naked Lunch, which is my favorite David Cronenberg movie, this is like probably his best movie. It just found all cylinders. It's about not only like these strange desires, but like it's about people's relationship with technology, things that are in inanimate objects and like, how we are evolving due to these technologies. It's super interesting. And that just recently got a release on Criterion on Blu-ray. The other film I watched, what I would not classify as erotic, is a late-era Fellini film called Casanova, starring Donald Sutherland. In, like, most late-era Fellini films, this is uh, very low, very much, like, non-subtly low-key about <laughs> Federico Fellini himself. Uh, it is about the story of Casanova and all of his sexual exploits. I can see exactly where maybe Tim Burton, well, Tim Burton was a Federico Fellini like, like acolyte, uh, but I can very much see where he maybe pulled inspiration from the movie Big Fish from with this movie, except there's, you know, no sex in Big Fish or no, <laughs> no explicit sex in Big Fish. Every uh, chapter of this movie is just another sexual tryst that uh, Casanova has. It's just phantasmagorical. All late era Fellini is just insane. It's it's a circ it's a circus of debauchery. Uh, <laughs> it, it like there are you think that the movie will will downshift at some point, and to a certain extent, it does kind of in its last chapter. But the movie doesn't really give you it's any time to let to let up. It is two and a half hours of intense, colorful imagery and sex. Is that fair to say, Ava? I think you said you were a fan of this film. 
Oh, yeah. I love this movie. I was kidding when I said it was my favorite Fellini, but it is, like, way more up there than people would like. Like, I look for it in the box sets, and if it doesn't have Casanova, I'm not interested. So this is not a Criterion release. There was the Federico Fellini, uh, Essential uh, Fellini box set that was released uh, last month. This was actually a Kino Lorber release, and they kind of released it, I would assume, to capitalize off of the release of that box set. And this would have been an interesting addition to that box set because, you know, I think people are like very uh, in or out on late Fellini. I'm very much in to late <laughs> Fellini uh, just because I, I am very interested in a person who's like constantly trying to like reckon with their own legacy and their own desires. It, it, yeah, I mean, this is in no way uh, a woke film in any way. There it is it is very much told from the point of view of a man uh who is who has like a leery gaze, which we mm. will kind of get into with uh maybe uh, Elizabeth and your picks this this uh this week, Ava. But I very much enjoy how much spirit this movie has. Uh I enjoy that everyone is essentially down to clown in this movie. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I I can't see I can't see like selling a lot of people on this movie, but if you are into something that maybe you've never seen before, I would definitely check out Casanova. So, Elizabeth, what did yeah. you watch this week? This week, so watch. I didn't watch too much. I did rewatch Into the Spider Verse, um, which is great as always. But I found out that it's leaving Netflix this month. So if you mm-hmm. You gotta watch it before it leaves um but i also very bittersweetly finished schitt's creek this week so i'm recovering from that and if you, you <laughs> haven't seen schitt's creek i'm sure you've heard of it by now but it's just about this rich family um half of them are actually family uh <laughs> they lose all their money then they have to go live in schitt's creek which is a town that they own kind of I guess they own it. That's the whole premise. Yeah. Yeah. They just have to live in a motel in this tiny town without all of their fancy expensive things. But the character development in the show is literally amazing. And the last episode will have you bawling like a baby. Yeah. This is the show. uh, I think it's written and produced by Dan Levy, who plays David on the show. Written and produced by Dan, and then also produced by Eugene. Yes, uh, Eugene Levy, who we all know and love, Catherine O'Hara. Ava, why are you making that face? I just made the connection. That they're father and son? Ava, they look exactly the same. I thought he looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. (laughs) He's the son of the guy from that Mary Kate and Ashley movie, of course. (laughs) Did you just say Eugene Levy, that guy from the Mary Kate and Ashley (laughs) movie? He's also in um, American Pie, right? That's him? Yes. <laughs> you know, also a founding member of SCTV along with Catherine O'Hara. Uh... No way. <laughs> Today I learned. Cool. We need to watch the little making of documentary that they put out for it too. Uh, this was recent. I think this recently won an Emmy. It's one of those sleeper shows. So this show, this show was interesting because I think it premiered on like Crackle. Huh? Pop TV. Pop TV. It was on some nondescript streaming service that no one cared about. 
and it seemed like it would you would see previews for it in the movie theater like during the like uh ads playing like ads playing before the trailers start and it just seemed like one of those shows where you're like okay another tv show that'll last a season no one will watch it mm-hmm. or it'll last a billion seasons and somehow and yet no one still watched it like and then it kind of slowly developed this like cult following, which then turned into a mainstream following. It's like one of those like weird sex stories. And I think it's directly tied to the fact that I think this show, and you can can you confirm this, Elizabeth, the quality of the show improves every season. Oh yeah. I was one of those people, and this is a thing anyone who loves Shits Creek will tell you this. Like the first few like episodes, if not the whole season, depending on who you are, is a little rough to get through. Because they are just like kind of like these like stuck up rich people who are like ew why am i living in Shit's creek in a hotel and everything's gross and i hate it here then you get to see them become like good human beings and see how sweet they are and which is interesting i didn't even know that until you told me that truly all i've known about this show is that people love dan levy and Catherine o'hara so much in it oh yeah I've just seen lots of super cuts from from Shit's Creek. Bebe. Uh, Her weird accent that she does that just isn't from anywhere. Yeah. A lot of people saying David. Just, just <laughs> that. David. <laughs> like Alexa says, ew, David. All the time. Yes, I've been very interested to check out the show. I've heard some from so many people that it's 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 worth my time uh in that once you get past those like first few episodes, it's like taking a warm bath. Like comes very comforting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know there's a contingent of, you know, just to like for comparison, like you mentioned, like how good hearted it is. I, I, it does seem like it's a nice alternative if you find something like the good place to be slightly too saccharine. So mm-hmm. that is nice. That is nice to know. It seems like there's still some bite to this. Also, Chris Elliott's in this show and I oh. am legally obligated to watch anything Chris Elliott is in just because I like Chris Elliott a lot. Uh, yeah. You don't, if you don't know the name Chris Elliott Elizabeth, he's the one who plays Ronald shit. Yeah, the mayor. The mayor. Okay. He's like the mayor I said, of the I town have, that tells me anything. Is he the guy who used to eat weird stuff on late night shows? Is that Chris, what he is that one of Chris do? Elliott's bits? Is he like the guy who's kind of balding and he's Abby Elliott's dad? Yeah. 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 yeah he used to like eat mayo on late night shows. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a different white man comedian. <laughs> no, I mean that sounds like up Chris Elliott's uh alley. I just I mostly know him from like his short-lived uh TV show and his like roles in like a bunch of different movies that I'm a fan of. Uh but yeah, please everyone check out Shit's Creek. It's it's on Netflix. I think that also is part of the reason why it 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 gained some traction is that it it was no longer on Pop TV. Once it crossed the border, it blew up. Well, that's going to do it for us on what we watched this week. We're going to get to our main topic, uh, which is non-traditional Christmas movies. We wanted to talk about some, uh, some, or not Christmas movies, but holiday movies. We just wanted to talk about movies that, you know, take place around the season or capture the, the essence of the season in some way. So, yeah, please join us there. My boyfriend is a vegan, so they fed him fish. My uncle made it worse by talking So, I mean, this will be kind of similarly structured to our last segment, but I wanted to ask you guys right off the bat, one, what is a holiday or Christmas movie? Like, what does that mean to you? And then two, 
why these like how do these movies in particular capture that holiday so I'll, I'll pose that question before i ask you what you guys decided to pick so elizabeth what movie are you talking about today so it's funny that you say that because uh if i were to say what is a christmas movie to me i would say like something that makes me feel warm um like usually takes place around christmas or mentions christmas but also not necessarily like I think that a lot of people consider like The Sound of Music sort of a Christmas movie just because it plays all the time around Christmas. Um, So that's another thing. For me, it's more of like this warm like feeling. But for this one, I picked (laughs) not something that made me feel warm and fuzzy. Uh, My non-traditional Christmas movie is Black Christmas. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Which I actually, this is the first time I've seen it. And could you answer me, which Black Christmas? I did watch the original Bob Clark Black Christmas, but the remake from last year is on my list. Well, I've heard... And not, and not to immediately like gloss over what Black Christmas is. I've heard that like all three movies are act- like all, both the remakes are actually good in their own ways. Good. Like it's one of those. It's one of those weird. It's not a franchise because you know it's not like there's sequels to each other or anything. But you know they're 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 all good in completely different ways. So, but yes, what is uh, Black Christmas about? So Black Christmas is about these girls at a sorority house and. They keep getting these weird phone calls from someone just going like, (laughs) and making like the weirdest noises ever and pretty gross and creepy. And then someone starts killing them, but it's also set around Christmas. Yes. And this is also a Canadian film. You've, you've brought, we've, there's a lot of Canadian things on this podcast today. You got Cronenberg, you got Schitt's Creek. (laughs) That's a, it seems like a place I'd rather be right now, so. (laughs) so why did you decide to pick this movie in particular uh to make me watch it (laughs) (laughs) and i was like okay we're doing non-traditional like this is definitely not the holiday so i'll do it for this week and then i'll finally have to watch it because i've been meaning to watch it and it was even on my list to maybe watch in october when we were watching all those horror movies and i never got around to it so I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to watch it. And I knew that people liked it. You had liked it and some other people whose opinions I trust too. So I had a good feeling going in and I had a good feeling going out. So yeah, I like Black Christmas quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, it is. I had mentioned like about like a leering camera and things like that. It is very De Palma-esque without having any of the... Uh, 
all of the exploitation elements uh, present in a Brian De Palma movie, but you know, there's lots of split diopter. There's lots of colors. I mean, it, there's, it's mostly female protagonists in the movie. There's a lot of melodrama in the backdrop of like, bet- like, or the, the melodrama between the characters in the movie. It's very funny. Uh, it's a very like gallows humor. Margot Kidder is so good in this movie. Uh, yeah, I I like Black Christmas a lot. I, I called it, it's a very wicked movie. I would say it's a very like mean spirited movie, <laughs> almost. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's the it's the great for me. Like the reason I enjoy this movie so much is obviously besides the way it looks, is that it was nice to just kind of see where that horror trope come. I, I mean, I guess I'm gonna give you a little bit of a buffer for spoilers because a lot of people maybe haven't seen this movie, so spoilers are going to be happening right now. <laughs> it's it's the movie where the they say the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah, it's like when a stranger calls meets sorority row. Yes, it's like correct. literally those two put together, but it came before all of those. So yes, which I think the movie itself might be based off of an urban. Le- I have vague recollections of reading a book of urban legends as a mm-hmm. kid, and I think that might be like the big twist ending to the urban legend, where like someone's terrorizing someone and then they find out the police later tell them that the call is coming from inside the house see i feel Uh, like it wasn't really a surprise like it wasn't like a twist though because the entire time you see well you don't even see the killer but you like see from his point of view that he's in the house it's not a surprise yes i I, it is interesting but it is treated like such in the movie like it's like a well i think it's because it's a revelation for the character yeah, I definitely get that. Uh, Ava, have you seen Black Christmas? I have not, but I'm thrilled to hear that that's where the call is inside the house comes from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like Elizabeth said, it's not so much a twist for the audience. Uh, I, I mean, not to get too into like the kind of the, for me, what's the bigger surprise for the end of the movie? It's that the movie is about who is the killer in this movie because you just largely suspect that it has to be because it has a male voice on the end of the call that it has to be one of the few male characters within the movie so the movie is more playing with your expectation as to who it could be some of the male characters are presented as unpleasant in their own way and (laughs) some of them are you know considered just what they are you know there's a murder within like the first few minutes of the movie and they start investigating it or or missing persons like they don't know where this person went and people's parents come down it's a whole thing and i think this is it's interesting i never considered this uh until you decided to choose it as your movie elizabeth for me it's such a halloween movie mm-hmm. despite it being set on christmas because uh for me and this is not to take away from Vic, there's nothing particularly christmasy about it it is like they have christmas carols i'm sorry they're christmas carolers Oh, yeah. I mean, there are Christmas carols. There are Christmas lights. There's snow. Like it's a scary looking Christmas tree. It's like they threw tinsel on their Christmas tree, but it looks like spider webs. I don't know yes. how they did that. <laughs> it is just interesting that it's uh, such a movie that it doesn't seem like many of the characters really like each other in any particular way. Like, it obviously is, it takes place in a sorority and stuff like that. But I always feel like everyone in the movie is kind of tolerating each other. Like, no one seems like actual sorority sisters within the movie. Yeah. Uh, or some of them are out, are outright dislike. I like the house mom 
as she's drinking she's like taught like she's talking under her breath about like how she's just like trying her best in that <laughs> to keep these girls from like you know drinking and like sleeping with sleeping around and stuff and she says something like uh the these girls these girls would hump the leaning tower of pizza pizza if if i wasn't around or something like that you know she did say that that's funny of course um but yeah i as far as like how christmassy the movie is it is like a good i feel like it's a good choice unfortunately in indiana we're not really getting very christmassy weather right now Mm -hmm. it since it is such a cold wintry movie Mm-hmm. It does feel like one of those, and it gets dark so early. It does feel like one of those good movies of like, hey, it's six thirty. It's already dark outside. Like, let's watch something that's like a little, you know, a little scarier. And then you can like everyone kind of cuddle up to each other if they're freaked out. Yeah. Uh, and the movie does have one of the most terrifying climaxes in a horror movie I've ever seen. Like, yeah. I actually, I've seen this movie twice now, and I the climax of this movie is actually like. I get completely stressed out despite knowing exactly what's going to happen in it. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, the beginning kind of reminded me of like Halloween, like the opening scene, because it's like point point of view of the killer, and you just kind of like see him, wa- like he's walking around. So you're walking around, and you just kind of hear him making like breathing noises and stuff. I was like, oh, it was very Halloween esque. But again, before Halloween existed. Yes, I mean it. The like it is considered a proto slasher movie by mm-hmm. a lot of by a lot of people. Um, I and that's the other De Palma thing I enjoy about the movie. Not that uh, De Palma made Halloween. That was obviously a John Carpenter movie. Uh, <laughs> I was like, but... just make sure everyone knows I know the. De Palma <laughs> no, no, I'm saying just bring that to the De Palma thing. Why this feels like a this feels like what charade is to Alfred Hitchcock movies. This feels like like Black Christmas is to what this is to like Brian De Palma movies, where it's not obviously made by that person, but mm. it like has a lot of the same mojo going. And the point of view stuff is like that's like my favorite stuff in the movie mm-hmm. because it shifts it shifts to the point of view of the the killer so much throughout the movie, and you don't really and sometimes you don't really realize it's the point of view of the killer until it's you know until it's too late essentially. So yeah, it was. I enjoy funny. that. I'll definitely watch it again. Would you are do you have any interest in watching either of the remakes? I know you said you're gonna the 2019 one on your list. Do you, do you think you would check out the 2016? I would definitely watch it. Ava, you're gonna freak at this cast: Katie Cassidy, Michelle Tracker. I'm looking at this right now. I can't believe Oliver Hudson, aka Kate Hudson's brother. Just to clear the air, I'm gonna watch this. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> like I said, it's got like like I said, it's got a pretty a pretty like sizable following of people who have said like all three black christmas movies are all good in their own very specific ways so i um, love that energy i wish uh, more films that had remakes had that type of energy yeah and it's kind of interesting like i don't know what they it's changed about any of the movies i've only ever seen the uh original but yeah i'm very curious to check that out maybe that'll be something i do this christmas eve ava yes what did you bring and why did you bring it? And what does Christmas mean to you? Ooh, great questions. I brought the 2019 movie, Hustlers. These Wall Street guys. You see what they did to this country? They stole from everybody. Hardworking people lost everything. And not one of these douchebags went to jail. The game is rigged, and it does not reward people who play by the rules. 
It's like robbing a bank, except you get the keys. Are you in? I got a fuck. I need to shit. I need to for my life. These are my coworkers. Jobs, please. What if somebody calls the cops? And says what? Woo! I spent $5,000 at a strip club, sent help. Ha, damn. Uh, We're a family now. Ha, damn. Uh, a family with money. Uh, damn. My favorite movie of 2019, maybe my favorite movie of the decade. Like, who knows? <laughs> it's great. Love it. Um, what was the second question? Why did I bring it? Yeah. Because they celebrate Christmas at one point. <laughs> <laughs> but also because the movie is so much about like finding your chosen family and establishing relationships with people that aren't through like romantic ties. It's not like a marriage thing. It's not through like a blood thing. It's just being around people that make you feel like yourself and that make you feel loved and taken care of and whom you want to love and take care of in turn. And I feel like because the Christmas scene is set like in the back, it really builds to that nicely. It's like the moment when everything is perfect, everything is pristine, and it's exactly the way you would hope a loving family Christmas goes. Oh, that's so wonderful. This was one of my top 10 films of 2019. Uh, I wrote an article about it for the Ice Cinema about its relation to the 2008 recession, um, which is what the movie is about to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I would agree with that, Ava. I mean, to me, I like that movie so much because it's about found family, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite concepts in cinema uh, and just in media in general. It also is a movie I enjoy, be- like that found family concept, because uh, Christmas for me, Christmas is a very melancholy time of the year, which is why like my favorite traditional Christmas movie of all time is like a Charlie Brown Christmas, because Charlie Brown is such a melancholy character. Mm-hmm. but hustlers itself it's about that thing of like you find people and through hardship like you kind of like bond together in those hardships i mean it's about a lot of other things uh i mean it, it's kind of funny that it is a christmas movie and christmas is a you know typically related like a related to capitalism a lot and it's about mm-hmm. <laughs> like a bunch of women just like getting their bag in like a bad situation yeah i yeah hustlers is incredible. I mean, you get a great performance from Jennifer Lopez, like tragically overlooked from the Academy Awards. I mean, Constance Wu holds her own in the movie. And then you have Kiki Palmer, <laughs> who kind of, she doesn't really steal the movie. I just feel like every scene in which she like opens her mouth is funny. She steals the movie a little bit. That little like <laughs> conversation she's having with the other girl about how they're going to get their wings is Oscar worthy in and of itself. Just... Her power. She's so good. It's that. And then it's her, uh, them, her, them like being like, we have to wait, you know, the person that they accidentally injured or injured themselves. Like, it's like, we have to wait until (laughs) like people show up so that they get help. And then she just says no. And then runs (laughs) off in her little high heels. Yeah. She just like runs across the parking lot wearing like one of those denim swimsuits that Jennifer Lopez's character makes. And it's amazing. Uh, Elizabeth, what are your thoughts on the motion picture Hustlers? I love Hustlers. Thank you, David, for lending me your Blu-ray so I could rewatch it this week. Just like from from the beginning of the movie, it just like doesn't stop being exactly what I want in a movie about female stripper friends. It could have been really bad in the hands of someone else (laughs) it could have been really bad in the hands of someone else 
thank goodness we got what we got because yeah i mean like it's it's like obviously what they do is like morally not cool yeah but the way that they talk themselves into it i think is very relatable it's yeah but i never at any time and i'm like damn i hope these people go to prison i mean the film itself is based off of a uh article like which is called like hustlers at scores i'm pretty sure yes. which is about the characters portrayed by constance Wu and jennifer lopez about this thing that actually really did did happen and my take on the film has always been much like in like a, a traditional martin scorsese uh film which is like obviously Lawrence uh, Scarfia is like uh lightly pulling from but like I don't think you're supposed to think of these characters as good or bad people you're just supposed to think of them as people mm-hmm. like I don't I don't think you're supposed to like cast like that type of judgment essentially mm-hmm. like people put in a situation that like is you know it's a terrible situation and they also put them against the backdrop of like okay you can think that they're bad people but they are actively working to harm even worse people to a mm-hmm. certain extent and I mean the whole turn in the movie happens when they decide like where they try to figure out if they've gone too far doing that mm-hmm. um, so it, it the more the morality of the movie i don't think is an issue at least not for me um yeah. but I, I i definitely see how people get hung up on that but uh yeah i mean it, 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 if you dull a hand like that you, you do the best you can and you kind of come together which is seems like that's kind of what people what christmas kind of means to people in the past few years is that everyone's kind of down on their luck in like the past uh Mm -hmm. four or five years and uh it's a lot of you know while i think there's a lot of individualism being spread around i think people are trying their best and bonding together and finding their own little communities and just trying their best to to make it through to get to get at to claw at whatever little scraps they can it's so good and the music is amazing (laughs) every time i'm like i know what's on this soundtrack i'm fine i'm prepared i'm never prepared the intro is so perfectly in line with that janet jackson and just like every song hits that transition into what is it big sean's ass with the dollar signs for the s's unbelievable (laughs) yes i mean it's got i mean yeah the the period appropriate soundtrack is incredible i mean she fought very hard also for the the two Janet Jackson songs that are used in the movie that open in, in the movie Control and uh, Miss You Much. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's a fun, like, it's one of those movies that, like, I have a hard time accepting that people are very meh on the movie because it's just so full of energy. And also, this is the thing that drives me crazy. There are a lot of directors who like to, you know, mimic Martin Scorsese, and that is their want. But in my opinion, the the cardinal sin all these directors always do is they want to use uh, like voiceover, mm-hmm. which, you know, is very popularly used in Goodfellas. And then they drop the voiceover inexplicably mm. before the end of the first act of the movie. <laughs> and then so then you just have this like voiceover that's like there because they saw Goodfellas. Warren actually makes it. A, a like a legitimate part of the movie she gives it a framing device she's being interviewed throughout the movie and it never actually drops and it actually gives the movie like much like in goodfellas with henry hill a point of view mm-hmm. and that's just like my little soapbox i like to get on about voiceover in like crime movies it's like <laughs> don't drop it like actually make it part of the movie yeah. or don't uh, and the framing in hustlers 
it's really interesting. It gives them a lot of opportunity for like cool audio things. So when she like hangs up towards the end or when she stops speaking to Julia Stiles and it's just silent. But yeah, the sound, like the sound design in the movie, like it's such a a sound and music like forward movie, like the sound design when Constance Wu is out all night and she goes to pick up her kid at her, you know, mm-hmm. that person's house and like how out of sorts she is and mm-hmm. all the strip club sequences and the opening scene of Jennifer Lopez's introduction into with that Fiona Apple. Fiona mm. Apple's criminal uh, is to me one of the scenes of the year. Yeah, I I think everyone if if you saw Hustlers in theaters and you were either underwhelmed or you you know it wasn't your cup of tea, I would say give it a, another chance. I think it does play. Ava, I think you it's a really good choice for this podcast. Uh, I think it really does play well with the idea of like you know in a year where everyone's struggling or most people are struggling anyway. Uh, it's a good movie to like get behind and like bond around and just like people doing their best in a bad situation so yeah it's beautiful go see it so that I can talk about the surprise cameo yes there's there are two cameos in the movie but then there but there's one surprise cameo yeah 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 oh and the scene where she teaches her such a good scene it makes me so it makes this is one of the christmas movies that makes me warm because that mm-hmm. scene makes me warm inside and happy for girlfriends yes yeah also uh not related to the christmas season obviously it's produced by adam mckay this is a, a good i mean he he produced this movie for a reason because he is a man who's obsessed with the 2008 and the whole uh bush administration as a whole makes for a good double feature with the big short mm. it's like you watch the big short get the broad overview of what happened and then you can zoom into one specific story that happened during the 2008 housing crisis so man i haven't seen that movie since the year it was nominated for those oscars Oh man, I love the big short. I I love the big short and I think that Vice uh is a flawed movie that I think people will kind of get give too much uh I think it's like it, it's flawed. It doesn't all it doesn't all work. I would have much preferred they just cast somebody who a, a seasoned character actor who actually kind of looks like Dick Cheney and not mm. Christian Bale, but you know it is about how the Bush administration irrevocably uh, ruins the presidential, <laughs> like the, the office of president. So, you know, it's probably worth your time. But yes, Hustlers, thank you for bringing that, Ava. Uh, we will end on mine. I will keep mine uh, pretty short. You will? <laughs> <laughs> this is not hate against you. It was just a, okay, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I I believe, <laughs> look, I don't know what I could say about this movie I think it's an underrated movie now, obviously not at the time, but I brought the 1992 follow-up to Tim Burton's Batman film, Batman Returns. I've been down here too long. It's time for me to ascend. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. Comes to life. 
one who can save this city is a creature of the night. Starring Michael Keaton, Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny DeVito, Christopher, uh, Christopher Walken. Walken, so many people, Paul Rubens for a few seconds. Uh, you know, uh, so obviously in 1989's Batman, this huge totemic thing in 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 cinema and pop cinema i'm sure if you want more information on that go uh check out any articles with uh past iu cinema guest michael uslan who uh produced that movie and as a whole and, uh, involvement with it but then the follow-up because that was such a mega hit tim Bur- they essentially let tim burton do whatever he wanted <laughs> he, they, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted and he decided to make one of the most unfettered Tim Burton movies of all time, uh, which is a movie in which Catwoman is in straight up leather S&M bondage as her costume. It is a, about the psychosexual uh, proclivities of being a superhero, as well as uh, the you know the satisfying side of that and the dark side of that, with you have with Danny DeVito's character. It's about politics. It's about so many things. And it just so happens to be set on Christmas. The movie itself opens uh, <laughs> with a Moses parable where it casts, <laughs> where it essentially re- uh, equates the penguin to Moses because his parents chuck him <laughs> into a river that oh leads him into the sewer. It's a wild movie from Go, everybody. <laughs> um, the reason I chose this movie that relates to Christmas, obviously it's set on Christmas. But to me, as I said, Christmas is a very melancholy time of the year. It's a very lonely time of the year for a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are very lonely on Christmas who feel like outcasts. You know, even though you know that, like, it's a, a feeling that won't last forever, it's, like, already a, a time of the year that's so loaded with meaning and that, that how everyone's together and everyone is, you know, everyone's accepting of everybody. This is a movie that proposes a question of, like, it's essentially a movie about freaks, uh, as Tim Burton is wont to do with his movies, and he makes this uh, kind of bonanza that's about like what happens when you don't accept people for who they are and they're left in solitude. I mean, it, it literally both the villains of the movie are people who are affected by the solitude that they're left in. I mean, the penguin is raised in the sewer and abandoned by his parents and Selena Kyle, Catwoman, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, like, which is one of the more unbelievable things in the movie is a woman who's like very single, uh, and she is left in her loneliness and her own struggles to like deal with like her own sexual agency and things like that. And Batman's just a big weirdo to begin with. I like Tim Burton's casting of Michael Keaton as Batman because much like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, Tim Burton understands that like the non-alter egos of superheroes would be incredibly emotionally stunted people mm-hmm. who wouldn't have much to say and would actually be kind of awkward and have to put on a face in order to like operate in real life. And like Christian Bale's take on Batman is that like, or Bruce Wayne is that he's like incredibly obnoxious and like uh, Tim and Tim Burton's Michael Keaton's take on Batman is that he's just very quiet and kind of aloof. So he doesn't have to talk to anybody. Ryan watched this for the first time and he was like, why is he so doofy? (laughs) And I was like, why not? (laughs) I mean, if you were a rich weirdo billionaire who like lived on like the outskirts of town who were kind of begrudgingly had to do like public events it would make more sense that you would be more aloof and doofy than you would be like outwardly trying to like be like a hey everybody just have a good time like like a playboy i I just i I think that is a better take on it 
even though I know a lot of comic book fans would vehemently disagree with me on that. But yeah, the the Batman Returns, I I just think that it really captures that spirit about being like an outcast and being alone on Christmas and just being alone in general. And when you have the season, which has all this uh, meaning loaded on top of it, it, it makes it that much harder. It's it's kind of a nice movie where all these, even though they're all at odds with each other, it's a movie in which like all these freaks kind of find each other in different ways. Like obviously Batwoman and Catwoman have their own romantic tryst in the movie and the Penguin wants to kind of teams up with Catwoman at some point. You said Batwoman, but I would also watch I mean, that sorry, movie. Catwoman. But, but you said Batwoman and Catwoman and I would watch that movie. Yeah, I just love this movie. This is my favorite of Tim Burton movies. I think this is the best Batman movie in general. It's actually surprisingly has not that much Batman in it. No, it's not. It's not really about Batman. Not really. Mm-hmm. Like it truly, it's more of a Catwoman movie if you kind of get down to it. Like it's really about like Selena Kyle and Max Shrek, who's played who's played by Christopher Walken. Also a very funny joke because Max Shrek is the name of the actor who portrayed Nosferatu in the film Nosferatu. Um, But yeah, it's not really so much a Batman movie. Like it really is about the Penguin and Catwoman, which I appreciate. I mean, uh, famously, I think most people say that Batman has the best villains. And so most Batman movies or most good Batman movies usually focus around the villains. Like I think most people just talk about the Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger performances Mm-hmm. in those movies i think the only trend that bucks at is like no one there aren't there aren't real uh razal ghoul fans out there uh, <laughs> from True. batman or uh, there's not big uh killian murphy fans out there playing for the scarecrow no he was not for the lot. scarecrow maybe but for for him himself um but yeah no ryan uh, asked me which one's mr freeze movie and I was like, uh. Batman and Robin, <laughs> which I enjoy. Rest in peace to Joel Schumacher. I, my taste towards oh Batman. Oh my God, wait, towards, I forgot that he had died. No, he, has, he passed away this year. Um, but those two Joel Schumacher movies, I have the controversial opinion that my favorite Batman movies are like these three movies, like this Batman Returns and the two Joel Schumacher movies, and then the Lego Batman movie. Mm. And then, like, I enjoy the Christopher Nolan movies, but not as much as these. And, like, that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, yeah uh, they're fun movies. I, I Also, it, it is interesting that he essentially made a movie that was marketed towards children. And it's very much not a movie meant for children in any sort of capacity. <laughs> like, it's just everything's like it's Danny DeVito playing the penguin. Like, he's gross. He literally like gropes a woman at one point while he's like putting like a button on her breast with like his flipper. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like incredibly lusty throughout the entire movie, uh, which is like its own like comment on politics and power. Yeah. So, I mean, have you, so you've seen Batman Returns, Elizabeth? Yeah. Ava, had you seen it? I haven't seen it. I have plans to watch it on Christmas Day. Oh. <laughs> Have you seen any of the um, 90s Batman movies? I've only seen two of the Dark Knight Batmans, and that's it for me. For Nolan movies? Yeah. I saw the two that have Dark Knight in the title, so I thought there was going to be like a third in the trilogy, and then I found out one of them was the third in the trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth, how how do you feel about Batman Returns since you have seen the movie? I mean, I'm a big fan of like the good Tim Burton movies 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I hate to say that, but everyone knows that he has some not great movies. But, like, it is very Tim Burton, It's and which means it's, like, everything I love about Tim Burton in this movie. And the cast is amazing. And there are so many penguins, which is my favorite animal. Oh. So, and also the emperor penguins are, like, true to size, which, mm-hmm. like, when you think of penguins, they're, like, so small. But, like, emperor penguins can get to, like, four and a quarter feet. Which is huge. It's yeah, that's, that's like <laughs> almost Ava-sized. <laughs> I'm like trying to measure it against my body. Like if I'm five four, then a penguin would be here. Uh, yeah. I mean, also, like I already talked about how this is a movie about the villains, uh, and things like that. But this is like it's funny. Danny DeVito before this was not so much like Danny DeVito now is more penguin esque, like his like his persona. <laughs> Like him being on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and mm-hmm. him doing all the like, you know, the the tweet, Anton Scalia, retire, ex thing day. You know, him going on The View, like sloshed on limoncellos and like, <laughs> like, I think that is what people our age and younger, that's what Dane DeVito is. But like before this movie, like he was like a pretty well-respected character actor like he was pretty well respected like he'd made a couple of movies at this point like this is pre-matilda but he'd made a few movies before that i think he'd made hoffa at this point not positive and he obviously is known uh as like a a character on the tv show taxi but he's like more known as like a tough you know like Mm -hmm. a like a gruff guy who just kind of happens to be short actually his height is never even really played with at this point, there's that famous moment in Taxi where you don't see the fact that he's short for a really long time on the show. And then, like, at some point, like, he gets angry at somebody. He's like, I'm coming down there. And then he comes from behind the window. And then you see that he's, like, five feet tall or whatever. Yes. Um, but it's so, it is interesting that, like, that's his his persona now is, like, so mm-hmm. Penguin-esque as this kind of, like, gross, gruff sewer urchin, <laughs> which is, like, part of his charm. Yeah, and then Michelle Pfeiffer just steals the show. I mean, she's the best performance in the movie. Like, I, like, I don't yeah. really have anything to say. Like, this movie famously had a fraught casting process for Catwoman. Hmm. A lot of people were considered. Actually, you know what? Pull up the list. The, the list of people considered slash, like, auditioned for this movie were Susan Sarandon, Meryl Streep, Brooke Shields, Demi Moore, Nicole Kidman, who ended up being in Batman Forever. Uh, Jodie Foster, Gina Davis, Sigourney Weaver, Madonna, Raquel Welsh, Cher, Ellen Barkin, Jennifer Jason Lee, Lorraine Bronco, Bridget Fonda, Jennifer Beals is insane. Some of these are like actually crazy. Like when you said Susan Sarandon, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But then like Meryl Streep. Yes, which according to Wikipedia, uh, Tim Burton considered her too old at this point, which ain't Mm -hmm. great. But you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's fun. But also, <laughs> Danny DeVito was like pushing fifty at this point, playing a thirty-three-year-old yeah. penguin man. How old is Danny DeVito? Holy cow! He was born in forty-four. I only know this because I just looked it up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it only makes sense in that which why I enjoy it as an aspect of the movie. This is kind of a fetish piece, like to tie it back to Federico <laughs> Fellini. This movie is a fetish piece. Like, we can be honest about that. And so it's very clear to me, as with a lot of female Tim Burton, uh, female protagonists or supporting characters, that he is casting and designing these, women's ba- these women based off of his own desires. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know that as a fact. I have never talked to Tim Burton about his sexual desires, but you can see a pattern in the mm. type of women he casts his movies and the way he dresses them up. And this is to me his most sexual id movie in which he's just like, what if I just cast, what if I just dress a woman up as an S as an S&M fantasy I had once. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is nice that the costume isn't ultimate. I mean, it's skin tight, obviously, but it's not like a revealing costume anyway. It's more <laughs> just, you know, it, you can immediately recognize it for what it is when you see it. Mm-hmm. That scene of her, when she comes back to life, which, uh, past I used to guess Laura Ivins has a good take that, um, uh, Catwoman in this movie is actually undead. She doesn't come <gasps> back to life, that she's a zombie, which I'm now, which I'm now kind of apt to agree with. I think uh, that scene where she comes back to her apartment and she smashes uh, the lights out of her neon sign. It says mm-hmm. hell here and stuff. I like the fact that she immediately takes this like leather coat and just starts cutting into it. Like she already has ideas. She knows exactly what she's doing. <laughs> uh, Ava, I'm sorry you haven't seen this movie. This, these are it's a great scene. I think you'll enjoy it. There a are lot. lots of cats. No, I'm it. so excited. I'm going to approach it with this Catwoman is a zombie mindset now. Yeah. Also, it is a funny take on Catwoman because obviously Catwoman in the comics, she's Catwoman because she's a cat burglar. Right. It has nothing <laughs> to do with cats it, at it's all. Not, it's not at all in this movie. Oh. <laughs> Which is once again, like, you know, to kind of tie it back to the Disney onslaught of things, it's like, I have no problem with IP. I'm a giant dork. I read comic books. I watch cartoons and anime. It has nothing to do with it. What I like is when you have a director like a Tim Burton or Sam Raimi or whatever, and they take that thing and they turn it into something that's, like, interesting and different. Mm-hmm. Uh like, yeah, now if they made a bat, well, they are making a Batman movie and it's, it, I'm actually kind of excited for it. But like, yes, Catwoman is now going to be a cat burglar, but it is wild that her introduction in a movie has nothing to do with her. The fact that she steals things whatsoever, <laughs> all tied to the fact that she's like kind of a crazy cat lady. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a linear thought, you know, Batman traumatized by bats, I guess, in some way, the penguin is named the penguin, but although the penguin being named the penguin has nothing to do with penguins in the comic book. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was just like, like we need all of the animals on set. Like I I know people like try to not work with animals, but I want to work with all of them. <laughs> which is great, which is this movie's great because it has a lot of puppet animals in it. Because there's a lot of scenes of like the penguins trying to kill Batman, which has there are two moments in this movie. And Ava, you can mute me if you want, if you don't want to hear or whatever, but like, it's not like a spoiler or anything, but <laughs> there, there are two minor moments in this movie. And one of them I constantly think about is Batman being chased in the sewer by penguins with rocket launchers on their back and they are firing <laughs> missiles at the Batmobile <laughs> and he escapes narrowly. And there's just this one moment where he turns and looks behind him as if to say, I can't believe I was almost killed by a penguin. <laughs> I literally die laughing. Also, and then I also die laughing anytime the poodle lady's on screen. We stand. We stand the poodle lady. The poodle lady's cool. There, oh my god, there was the poodle, and then there's like bats. I don't know if they use real bats, I guess, but like at some point they might have. Well, the literally the tagline to this movie or one of the posters, I'm pretty sure, is the bat, the cat, and the penguin. Like it really (laughs) is a lot of like it really is a lot of uh animal imagery in the movie like which is like a which to me 
that's a weird take to have for a superhero movie but honestly <laughs> i'm very much into it um, i'm a fan and then there's that one bird are you the one that told me that that was actually a real bird she put in her mouth <gasps> oh yes the yes the bird that uh, michelle pfeiffer puts in her mouth yeah that's real <sighs> yeah it is crazy what type of bird like big bird little bird little bird right? like a parakeet type thing okay um <laughs> Also, just some fun facts about this movie. And by fun, I mean not so fun facts. Uh, in the first Tim Burton Batman movie, Billy Dee Williams is Harvey Dent, who if you know mm-hmm. who Harvey Dent is, he's the one who becomes Two-Face eventually. Billy Dee Williams signed on to that movie to play Harvey Dent because he was under the... He's like, I know how this goes. <laughs> he's like, I'll get to be Two-Face in the next movie. And then the studio, not Tim Burton, to his credit, the studio were like, we don't want billy d williams's harvey dent which is kind of insane when you think about it in 1992 you have one of the actors from a star wars movie who wants to be a villain in your movie and like and you're like okay well that's strange but then if when you tie it with this other piece of information marlon waynes the youngest waynes brother yeah that marlon waynes was originally going to be cast as robin in this movie (gasps) and the studio struck it down Mm. so this movie has a weird thing where it's two black actors were going to get major parts in this movie warner brothers we see you and warner brothers Mm. decided to strike it down i i've always wanted to talk to michael uslan about that because Mm -hmm. i just find it it's like it's too much of a coincidence yeah i i i I mean i'm sure there are reasons given i i there's like then we got this instead we do get the tommy lee jones (laughs) as two-face the thing about Batman, here's the thing about uh, Batman He's Forever. He's like bright, purple, pink. Yes. The thing about Batman Forever, <laughs> another movie I really do love a lot, is that uh, both Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones, despite not getting along on set, their take on both their characters are, well, what if we were both just the Joker? So it's a movie <laughs> in which it's two people just being the Joker against each other. <laughs> They're just crazy in different ways the riddler i forgot all about him yeah i mean but he i feel like what's the you're more into the comics and stuff but like what's the actual character difference between the riddler and the joker is it just Mm. that the joker is more unhinged yeah i mean the joker is like oh my god the joker is a bunch of different (laughs) things but he's just like he's chaos incarnate you know Mm -hmm. whatever like True, like he is he is just a for he is the the polar opposite to batman like that is what his purpose is like mm-hmm. he has no conscience no soul he wants chaos to reign all that stuff the riddler is like a man who's like he is kind of his mo is that he can't commit a crime without leaving a riddle uh. as to how to solve uh. yeah like and he's not and usually portrayed as like he is obviously a lot of Batman villains like have of their own mental issues and things like that. But, you know, a man who's portrayed as like outside of that one quirk, he's very intelligent. Like the mm-hmm. uh, the tragedy of the Riddler is that he could get away with all these crimes if he didn't leave riddles. <laughs> <laughs> his own thing. So like he's not like crazy and loud and like effusive in any way. <laughs> like so it's what not you're the- saying is the Riddler is more of a jokester than the joker it's not even that they're joke like some of them like it's literally just because he wants to stump batman like his ultimate goal is that he wants <laughs> he's to- like i'm smarter than you oh my god i mean I it's a very that. pulpy comics thing it's very silly it's why i enjoy comic books because like comic books are silly inherently are we gonna get a new riddler anytime soon yeah it's paul dano 
Okay, cool. I that's yeah. I thought I'd remembered that, but then I couldn't. I didn't remember if I was correct. But I'm here for Paul Dano. Yeah, Paul Dano to me is actually like a great choice for the Riddler because to me, like the Riddler should also kind of be a creep. Mm, and he plays that well. Who besides someone who looks like they spend all their time on Reddit.com all day would leave like like I gotta prove that I'm smarter than this guy like yeah. to their own demise. <laughs> That, he does look like that. Which I I love him. I love Paul Dano. I think he's like one of our finest actors, but I, that's incredible casting in my opinion. Um okay, I lied. I went long on Batman. Do you guys have any thought? I know you haven't seen it yet, Ava. I really do hope you enjoy it. Um I'm really excited about it. Elizabeth, do you have any final thoughts on Batman Returns? Which is on yeah. HBO Max if you're looking for a way to watch it. That is how I watched it. Uh they have all the Batman, so you can watch all of the literally i think they have all of dc i think yeah because warner brothers Brothers just outright just owns dc yeah um final thoughts on batman returns i don't know i like the weird carnies yeah just kind of like flip flop around and cause mayhem another tim burton and federico (laughs) felina thing they're like obsessed with carnivals yep I don't, it is, it is, it, which I enjoy. I mean, it's a, it gives all their movies like this distinctive palette and like energy and tone to them, but like they are, they both come back to carnivals a lot. It's very Yeah. Unfortunately in this movie, it does the thing where it like paints carnies as bad people, but yes. they're still fun though. Yeah. They're still fun. Once again, Poodle Lady is an incredible character. We should all love and respect her, but yeah. All right, well, that's going to that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, I didn't want to go super duper long, which I don't think we did. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to thank uh, Brittany Friesner and for letting us do this podcast. I'd like to thank Steve Alford and Rational Discourse for the use of their theme song, Chimney, off of the album Live at the Mothlight. You can find me on Twitter at SamuraiFlix, on Instagram, and uh letterboxd at robert dolphy you can find me on the podcast can spelled c-a-n-n-e-s like the place in france in the film festival can i kick it um, ah. where i was one of the 12 guests of Mankmas, where uh 12 there were 12 of us on we all have different points of view and bits about mank so you can check me out on that uh elizabeth no ava where can people find you if you Ooh. want to find you. Yes, they can find me on Letterboxd, where I'm Ava D-O-T-Gov, um, where they can find me on Twitter, where I'm little A-N-D ugly. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all at Elizabeth Rell, E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H-R-O-E-L-L, no spaces. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to do it for us on the place from this week. Uh, join us next week. Uh, where we will have special guest Alyssa Brooks, correct? Yeah, her first time. Uh, <gasps> first time guest, where we will be talking about more traditional Christmas movies. Will I be talking about a Charlie Brown Christmas? I don't know yet. We'll see. Uh, I was going to say, we- this is going to be a surprise to me if he said something, because he hasn't <laughs> told me yet. <laughs> or will I shift to something that's uh, not Christmas related, but still a more traditional holiday movie? So mm. we shall see. Uh, yeah, but that's gonna do us for a place for film. We'll see you at the movies. Good night. Good night.